She stands up, her back held straight, a lioness in her game. Incoming, her Arthur, incoming. Her no, no, coming down. Oh, where am I? You washed up. Sorry? Welcome to the island of discarded women, my friend. I used to be somebody. Are you that woman on the radio? Your island job is peladora de papas. Uh, sorry, what? Potato peeler. 87% match for your skills. Okay, that's not... Anyway, what is the second best match then? Host of the Island Podcast. Are you kidding me? No, no, see, that's me. That That's perfect for me. shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. We women of one country will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. In the name of womanhood and of humanity, I earnestly ask that a general congress of women without limit of nationality may be appointed and held at some place deemed most convenient and at the earliest period consistent with its objects to promote the alliance of the different nationalities, the amicable settlement of international questions, the great and general interests of peace. From the original Mother's Day Proclamation by Julia Ward Howe. Arise then, women of this day, with lamps of love to light the way. Let us lead the way to peace here on Mother's Day. Here on Mother's Day. Here on Mother's Day. 
indeed. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm so moved by the song, so moved. Please tell me your inspiration for this song. I had, uh, I had heard uh, from a friend of mine, the original Mother's Day was a call to peace. This was during the Civil War. Julia Ward Howe um, wrote the Mother's Day Proclamation. She also wrote? The Battle Hymn of the Republic, right? yes. <laughs> that was a little earlier in her time. She, she, learned, hey, she learned a few things, yeah. she developed, she, yeah. But um, she and a woman named Anna Jarvis got together and they, they really worked toward um, trying to get a Mother's Day of Peace started during the year to get women to come together to talk about how they could bring peace to the world. Yeah. And um, sadly it didn't happen. Um, you know, they, they passed on. Anna Jarvis's daughter took up the mantle and they did get a national holiday, but it didn't turn into uh, <clears throat> exactly what they wanted. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You wrote this song in 2016. I did. The same year that your mother died. Right, yeah, my mom died later that year in yeah. October, yeah. And she was just shy of 99. She was, she was, yeah. she was six weeks short of 99, man. I give it to her, it's like, yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> let's give her 100. Yeah, let's give her 100. You know? So I, I think it's just, it's just so, it's so beautiful, this idea of a Mother's Day of peace. And I think Mother's Day, I mean, yes, it's turned to, you know, flowers and brunch and that kind of thing, but there's still that sense of honoring and celebrating. Right. And, yes. um, and it's not too late. It's not too late. Let's start our Mother's Day of Peace. Thank you, Anne. Anne will be back to sing another really cool, groovy song. So thank you. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. So my mother, my mother, was uh, my champion. She was my biggest supporter, my biggest fan. She was also an incredible inspiration to me. She overcame so many obstacles in her life every single day. And what I learned from my mother was vast, but probably the biggest gift that she gave me was to be curious. And she always said, um, I don't get shy people. I just don't get shy people. Why wouldn't you want to talk to people and learn about their lives? And she could talk to anyone. I definitely picked that up. I definitely picked that up. So, and I'm very grateful that I did. Her sense of curiosity, her sense of wonderment, her sense of adventure, all of those things are amazing gifts that she gave me. Um, I've mentioned this briefly on the podcast years ago, but uh, my mom gave us all the talk, the talk, when I was five. None of it made sense to me, but uh, she made it sound very, very important. So I was really trying to pay attention. And then she ended the talk by saying, well, I want you to know these things because I didn't, you know, until I was married. I mean, I thought it would retract like a dog's. <laughs> and she tossed that off like it was supposed to be funny, like it was like the punchline of the story. And I didn't get it. We didn't have dogs. We, we had cats. We had girl cats. And I didn't know what she meant by it. Anyway, that's my mom. Okay, our special guest artist for tonight is Mary Jo Peel. Mary Jo Peel, come on up. So, for those of you who do or don't know Mary Jo, let me remind you. Uh, she's a comedian, she's a writer, she's an actor. She's very well known for being a major part 
of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 franchise and all of its spin-offs and spin-offs of spin-offs, right? You're still doing spin-offs and spin-offs, totally, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, exactly. The brain that wouldn't die just uh, won't go away. Yeah, don't, don't. No, it should yeah. never go away. Uh, she's written, a, like, as we said earlier, she's written a very soon-to-be-released memoir, Dumb, 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 My Mother's Book Reviews. And she is going to read an excerpt from this book here, please, is Mary Jo Peel. Thank you, Sue Scott. Thank you. A few months after my mother died, my father and I sorted through three large closets gorged with things she'd found at Goodwill, garage sales, or consignment stores over the years. She loved to shop. There were clothes with price tags still on, attached, save for the day that she would lose the appropriate amount of weight and they would fit. There were other clothes that once fit but were saved for the day they would fit again. There were kitchen gadgets, utensils, books, games, puzzles, crockpots, heating pads, all stashed away for birthdays or Christmas and labeled with the intended recipient's name. My father and I bagged up everything for the goodwill in a sort of mercantile circle of life. My once tall father reached on tiptoe for the clear plastic recipe box on the top shelf and we opened it. It was full of index cards with my mother's notes on all the books she had read the past 15 plus years. She read so much she had to start keeping track. I'd visit her and she'd say, I swear I've read this damn thing before. <laughs> so some of the in that category are Brass Verdict, Michael Connolly. Can't remember, but kept me interested. <laughs> and then there's a question mark on another card. Patterson James, don't remember the name, but did enjoy. <laughs> and for such a small box, it was hefty in my hands. You keep it my father said as he tied up one of the many trash bags. You're the writer in the family after all. Almost a year later, I sat in a coffee shop with a notebook and a pen and the box, and I lay as many cards as I could on the table in front of me, and I sort of shuffled them like a blackjack dealer sweeping up after a hand. I read and reread all the cards. Who was this woman I'd known my whole life, this woman I thought I knew? How could I, who had won several spelling bees in elementary school, be the progeny of someone who misspelled a major country? <laughs> Daughter of fortune, Isabel Allende, girl from Chile, C-H-I-L-I, <laughs> gets to America Gold Rush, romance and adventure. How could I, who considered the AP style manual and elements of style's summer beach reads, have possibly been born of the loins of someone who used a greengrocer apostrophe. Louisiana Power and Light, John Dufresne, downer of a book about a family, Fontana's with apostrophe. How could I, who had read Moby Dick twice, be the issue of a woman who freely admitted in writing, no less, to reading Schlockmeister Sidney Sheldon. Sky is falling, Sheldon, Sidney. So-so book about a female, parens, beautiful, close parens, newsreader looking into the deaths of wealthy family of five. 
There were a lot of books before my mother started her record keeping. I can still see the covers of Dr. Zhivago, Lonesome Dove, Gone with the Wind, The Shipping News, Bonfire of the Vanities, and Fat is a Feminist Issue. I did not like that book, even though I'd never read it. And I would take the long way around it, wherever it might be in the house at that time. I never picked it up to read the back cover like I did with all her other books. I was afraid I would be guilty of being fat by association. (laughs) If people should see me in too close proximity of the book, I'd been born pudgy, stayed pudgy, and I didn't want anyone to know. (laughs) And then my mother read The Women's Room. It was the late 1970s, the height of the women's movement, and all my mother's friends had read it. Marilyn French's feminist novel tells the story of some women who married in the 1950s to the domestic bliss promised them, only for their husbands to leave them for younger models. Day after day, the hefty hardcover rested on her lap as she sat in her reading chair, and my mother was pressed against the brown plaid upholstery of the colonial-style armchair, her jaw set breathing through flared nostrils as she turned the pages. She seemed mad a lot after that book. (laughs) And going through the cards, I could practically hear her irritation about certain books. Be Mine, Kasichki, Laura, boring. I read 55 pages, thriller, but nothing thrilling. (laughs) Last Get Bat Boogie, James Lee Burke, read about half. A real waste of time. (laughs) Last thing, David Searcy. Page four, use the word eschatological. Made me angry at the author, so I quit the book. (laughs) And that was about the time my mother began meditating in that brown plaid chair. A doctor recommended transcendental meditation after she'd been diagnosed with high blood pressure. And every afternoon, she sat up straight in the chair, her eyes closed, her beautiful hands folded on her lap, and inhaled and exhaled deeply. (laughs) My mother was trying to find inner peace right in the middle of the living room, in the middle of a house, in the middle of five kids trying to be quiet. (laughs) Mom's meditating! We'd holler through the house, warning each other to shut up, and she would break her silence with a roar that seemed to come from her toes and detonate in her larynx. Keep it down! I am meditating for Christ's sake! (laughs) Thank you so much. Mary Jo Piel. So Mary Jo, tell me, tell me, how different was writing this than what you normally write. Comedy, sketchy, not sketch. Well, some some of the sketches are sketchy. Yeah. 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 Uh, How different is that? Well, I think I had to work against trying to find a punchline for anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in my comedy writing, it's more quip-oriented. And this, I kind of had to um, be vulnerable and go deep, because I think comedy can put things at arm's length. How can they pre-order? Please go to my website, and I'll be sure to update it before I get Home? Yes, exactly. <laughs> M- Mary Jo will be leaving before all of you do. Um. <laughs> MJPL, MJPEHL.com, and I'll have a link there. And thanks. 
Thank you for doing thank that. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. doing that. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. Mary Jo Piel. So I want to uh, honor all the nurturers today, like teachers. Our teachers, oh my gosh, our teachers, right? Our te are we have teachers in the room? And teachers, 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 teachers in the room? Yeah. Thank you, thank you. So, so many of our teachers are our nurturers, and I just want to put a shout out to them. Thank you very much to all you teachers. I had a third grade teacher who absolutely changed the course of my life. However, I was not aware of that until I got older. So I was never able to appreciate that to her face or to thank her for it. When I started grade school, I was very social, duh, and uh, gregarious. And halfway through my first grade, I mean, a lot of this was stories that I heard from my parents. I, um, my enthusiasm for school lessened. And they weren't quite sure what had happened. The only thing they could think of was that the first grade teacher I started with um, left midway through the year to have a baby. And the new teacher came in and we didn't click. Or as my mother said, I think she scared you. So learning process slowed down and slowed down and slowed down. I, I mean, I was just going to school to have fun, so I wasn't aware of all this. By the time I got to second grade, I was put at the back of the class because I was not keeping up with the rest of the students. Okay, whoever thought that was a good idea, ever? I couldn't see the blackboard. I couldn't hear the teacher. Everybody else at the back of the class would goof off and make noises and all this kind of stuff. And then we would, all of us in the back of the class, me included, we would all get, you know, marched out to the hallway and we'd be yelled at by the teacher. I never knew why, what had I done wrong. I hated being back there. By the time I got to third grade, I was behind two grades in reading level. And my parents were told, she's a slow learner. It's just, you're gonna have to accept it. She's just, you know, she's, just, she's very social. She'll do fine, but she's just a slow learner. That was the label I was given. Then I entered Mrs. Santee's third grade class. And she had had my older sister four years before. And she wasn't buying the label. She wasn't buying the slow learner thing. She really felt that I could be nudged. And in that class, we were introduced to the SRA reading series. Do you remember the SRA reading series, those of you who are maybe a little older? The box with the color cards, and you read the thing, and then you got to go to the next color, and then you got to go, and you got to go, and, you, and it was all about, at least for me, it was like a big game. It was so fun, and it wasn't about competition. You were sort of competing with yourself. Uh, you know, it was all about sort of, I need to achieve so I can get to red, and then green, and then blue, and then silver, and then gold, right? And it was like, yes. I made up two grades in the third grade. And by the time I started the fourth grade, I was in the top reading group. And sitting in the front of the class, wrong people, still wrong. But I enjoyed it because I didn't have to be back in the back with all those people that made weird noises. Um, I know sometimes labels are appropriate to uh, instigate change or to correct a problem, but I'm so honored that Mrs. Santee decided that this overly chatty little girl could be pushed. Thank you.
please welcome our spoken word artist, Brittany Delaney. Brittany. Mother-daughter relationships are of the most complex, I think, that we'll experience in our lifetimes. And, um, you know, my teen years with my parents, with my mom more specifically, was like most, Civil War. Um, a battle for the top, for the queenship. <laughs> um, there was always a, a battle between my will and her experience. Um, and so I started this poem in my teen years, and then I gave birth to my daughter, Layla, April 13th of 2013, and I finished this seven days after I had her. Um, because I saw my mom very differently, very quickly. <laughs> Especially since she was the only one that could get her to sleep through the night. <laughs> so, I'll share that with you. They never tell us that the moment we zip our white dresses and walk down the aisle that we are entering our second marriage. That the first promise rings that adorn our bodies are wrapped around the finger of our umbilical cords as a vow of fidelity to our mothers. A union forged under the weight of amniotic fluids protected by pelvic bone protection. When we enter this earth, we are tied together till death do us daily remembrance and we must maintain it the best we know how. Our mothers, our, our first girlfriends, our first kisses, we will rely on them to tell us that we are beautiful, that we are intelligent, that we are worth it, what it means to be divine feminine, the feeling of, but that's not all our tender hearts will absorb. See, the thing about umbilical cords is they are not always ivory. At times, they come out the color stain of memory. Sometimes we daughters catch more than genetic predisposition and chromosomal identity traits. And our entrance into this world is like a jailbreak from the pressure, a desire for premature freedom, or so we think it is. We women swim in our mother's pain from the moment we feel their palms grace their bellies. It's as though their hands want to touch our bodies apologetically for how tight those exact same vice grips will hold onto our lives when we get older. They will see pieces of themselves in us that scare them into believing that we are mirrors and not our own people. They will often make us feel ugly. At times, they don't feel pretty. Something we will miss until we experience teaches us to see past white dresses and pink kisses and cooking lessons and our first heels and cages to keep our virtue in. No person will ever make us feel butterflies the way that she will when she tells us that she loves us more than anything else in the world, though time she will forget to act like she loves us more than anything else in the world. <laughs> we daughters will often lose sight of the fact that she too is a woman with the traits and failures of her own mother wrapped in pearls and pretty ringlets around her face. She, like us, will fall multiple times victim to the beat of others' drum, overextend herself to the one that she declares love for, and lose ownership of her heart at the hands of those that only mean to shatter even Mother Earth will set ablaze before cutting off the hands that are warming her too hot as women. Our hips hold more than just jeans and pretty lace garments. We are walking collections of life givers, each one more evolved than the last insecurity. We will think the worst of our mother's shortcomings because they inevitably become our longest runs, find ourselves responsible for our own validation because most days she needs to hear the exact same thing we do to get through and will receive nothing but silence as we are too caught up in our own problems to tell her that she is beautiful. Even when the tear stains take up more her face than the artificial smile she gave us at the door, before we slammed it. We are permanent puzzle pieces 
with way more in our box than we will ever need to be whole. And until we learn that the cinder blocks of the world that will grace our shoulders the moment we flash our first smiles are detachable, we will never know that we are capable of smoothing their edges and rolling them off of our backs. Most of our lives are meant to be this weighted. Our mothers know this, for they are the first versions of us. And when we finally look in the mirror to put the woman in the reflection we see first, we will find that it has always been her looking back. Thank you, Brittany Delaney. Thank you, thank you so much, Brittany. So, Zippy Lasky Hi. has written a new song. It's a tribute to your grandmother. Yes. So, we lost your grandmother recently. Yes, um, my grandma, um, she died in January of this year. Okay. You told me that your grandmother was, as you put it, the reason you began performing at a really young age. So, what did she do to influence you, to get you, to support you in performing? Well, she was my biggest advocate and my biggest fan. Um, we shared a really special bond of the love of music, particularly country music. Um, she would call newspapers, venues, local festivals um, to see if they had talent shows or an opening for me to sing. She would drive me all across North Dakota or, or Minnesota just so I could sing one song, and then we'd drive back home. Um, those memories with her are the memories that I treasure. You were telling about how you would listen in the car to Buddy Holly and Elvis and Patsy Cline and Dolly, and that she had tickets to the show in Moorhead the night that Buddy Holly was supposed to perform there, and yep. he died that morning, or, the, or yes. yeah, early that morning. Yeah, Buddy Holly and Elvis. Yeah. Maybe Elvis a little more, but those were her favorite, favorite singers. Wow. And yeah, she had tickets to see him. Um, and something that was kind of special, I was with her the, um, the morning that she passed, and I got to sing her a Buddy Holly song as oh, she you, passed away. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, can you tell us what you sang? Um, every day. Every day, yeah. of course. Oh, that's so touching. Yeah. Wow. And every day, what a perfect song. Yeah. Oh, I love that. She always made me feel extremely heard, seen, special. And she did that for all of her grandkids. I mean, she was at everything, our games, our shows, confirmations. It did not matter. She was there. Wow. I have written her a song, and it's about those little moments, the seeds that I will keep with me and hopefully pass on to my daughters, their daughters, um, about just being that unrelenting support system, knowing that my mom is gonna show up, my grandma's gonna show up. They're gonna provide me with resources, encouragement, and ultimately love me unconditionally. And here's singing this beautiful song is Zippy Lasky. It's quiet, quiet. 
quiet as snow falling No, it hasn't quite sank in That you're gone I'm reminiscing I'm mainly just missing you Photographs just don't do not even a song But I'll still sing one just for you Cause I know that you would want me to Keep going on And to be strong You'd say, honey, don't be sad too long So I will carry All of the seeds sown in me Yes, I'll carry all of the seeds you sown in me It's cold out Winter can be so cruel Taking who it wants to Without a thought Keep you with me Close like a memory Warming me up like tea Until the ice thaws And I will celebrate your name And I will not forget the way You gave me wings when I was young With your endless selfless love And I will carry All of the seeds you sown in me Lasky. Thank you. Beautiful. Just beautiful. There's all these images swirling around in my head and my heart and my soul these last uh, few days, few weeks, few months. Um, I can see mothers holding children, uh, looking out a window of a dusty bus as they're being evacuated. Uh, in the Ukraine from a city that has been destroyed completely. 
and they're waving. Um, there's the little girl in Ukraine that stood up on a box in a, in a shelter, a basement shelter, and sang uh, Let It Go from Frozen. Two weeks later, she's on stage outside in a huge arena singing the Ukrainian national anthem, a cappella, and killing it. I, uh, I'm seeing parents on television being interviewed about what they're going to do now that they don't feel their child is safe in the state that they live and they need to leave but they don't know where to go. I'm seeing the women's faces at a press conference here in Minneapolis after the Human Rights uh, Department of the state came out with their detailed, scathing report about the racial abuse perpetrated by the Minneapolis Police Department and the looks on their faces to say, well, we knew this, told you so, and also the grief for their children who died unnecessarily. Um, I'm seeing the female senator who is raging into the camera. Watch, women know how to vote, beware. And the young woman with sheer determination in her eyes, and she's standing on the steps of the Supreme Court and she has a sign that says, our bodies, our choice. That sign has been abused this last couple years, but the way she's using it is the real deal. And then there was the elderly woman who has a sign as well that says, I can't believe after all these years, I'm still protesting this shit. I am moved by all of these women. They, I see them, I can hear them, I can smell them. And I, I just want them to know I am paying attention. We are paying attention. And we thank you for showing up time after time after time. Thank you. How'd you keep your head up and hold your pride? In an insane world, how'd you keep on trying? One life can tell the tale And if you make the effort, you cannot fail By your life, you tell me it can be done By your life's the courage Carry on Heroes Appear like a friend To clear a path Or light the flame As time goes Find you depend On your heroes To show you the way 
can I learn from you? That I must do the thing I think I cannot do That you do what's right by your heart and soul It's the imperfections make us whole One life can tell the tale And if you make the effort cannot fail by your life you tell me it can be done by your life's the courage to carry on heroes appear like a friend to clear a path or light the flame as time goes you find you depend on your Catherine Hepburn, Sally Wright, Susan B. Anthony, Harriet Tubman, Annie Sullivan, Gertrude Stein, Coretta Scott King, Amelia Earhart, Lillian Hellman, Eartha Kitt, Sacagawea, Ella Fitzgerald, Golda Meir, Dorothea Dix, Louisa May Alcott, Billie Jean King, Emily Dickinson, Lucy Stone, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Clara Barton, Billy Holiday, Juliette Lowe, Elizabeth Blackwell, Rosa Parks, Lena Horne, Beverly Sills, Barbara Jordan, Helen Keller, Stacey Abrams, Agnes Jimmel, Corazon Aquino, Gloria Steinem, Rachel Carson, Joan of Arc, Babe Zaharias, Marlena Dietrich, and Frank Simone de Beauvoir. Okay, who are your heroes? Give me a hero, give me a hero. Personal, give her a hero. Her, name, Marion. Somebody else, give me a hero. Somebody else, a hero. Mary Baker Eddy. Anybody else, somebody else, one more, one more. Who? Catherine. Catherine. Oh, your mom. Okay. Have a hero in mind. At the count of three, we're all gonna say our hero at the same time out loud, all right? Okay, you ready? Ready, ready, you got it in mind? One, two, three. Cases. Heroes appear like a friend to clear a path or light the flame. As time goes, Find you depend on your heroes to show you the way, hero. And read everybody. And read. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, so powerful. Thank you, and thank you for all joining in. Please welcome our special guest for the conversation, Jennifer Baldwin-Peden, and her sister, Christina Baldwin. Come on up, guys. Let's take 
So this is from Moonlit Walk Home, this new music theater piece that's adapted from the poetry of, written by your mother, Fern. I know. I know. Yeah. And you're performing that show right now. Right now for the entire month of May with Nautilus Music Theater. Yes. And you did a show today. We did. Yes. Double header today. I know. Can you stand in there still here? Celebrating moms. Yeah. Yes. Now this piece is described as an operatic meditation for the theater adapting Fern's writing into moments that sing, giving voice to a spirit that describes, remembers, celebrates, laments, and forecasts a life of quiet substance. Tell me what was the impetus for pulling this all together? Well, I think that um, the written word and poetry was just such a big part of our lives, and especially with our mother. Um, she reads more than anyone I know and uh, always just has loved that and throughout life we would always find the room scattered with just little quotes or poems and verses, things she would think and even on back of recipe cards. So um, this was something that's always been a part of us. Yeah and she, she had written herself for a while but when she turned 72 the kids were gone by then. She had eight of them, so it took a while for the kids to leave. And um, <laughs> thanks and a lot some of the last one. So <laughs> and some of them maybe didn't want to leave because yeah. it's sort of like yeah, yeah. But she took a creative writing class, and it just opened up a whole new world for her again, finding her voice at 72. Yeah. And she's been prolific, and she's still with us at 87, cranking out poems and thoughts and inspirations and. Ben here at Nautilus, along with the two of us, we saw the value in her work, and so we have these snippets and amazing little perspectives into nature and family relationships and a spirituality that only our mom had. It's a, it's a singular view, and we all have this one perspective, and it's, it's beautiful to examine it. Yeah, yeah, wow. Okay, thank you, Christina, for joining us for the sneak peek. So, Jennifer, 
just for those who you know want to know a little bit more about you before we start our conversation. Right. You are a singer. You're an actor. You've done both opera and theater. Yes. Mm-hmm. You are the mom of two beautiful boys. Yes. Augie, 13, and Miles, 11. Yeah. And Miles is a kid born with Down syndrome. Yes. Which has led you to become a tireless advocate for the Down syndrome community. And we're going to talk about all of that. But I do want to dig just a tiny bit deeper into your mother's poems. Um, Mm -hmm. I love the fact that, you know, she raised eight kids. And then at 72, she becomes this, she sort of becomes a writer for real. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And then you said your brother self-published a book with her poems. Yes. Didn't tell her. Yeah. Number two, the second brother. She had six sons first and then then two daughters last. And, And so number, our second brother absconded with her writing one weekend and sent it all in to self-publish it. And she was horrified because it went in unedited. Um, He put all the recipes in as well. (laughs) So, you know, Dan's Target broccoli salad was in there with, um, you know, in my kitchen, the poem. So, you know, it took her a while to kind of come to grips with good enough, which I think all moms know how to deal with, is this concept of, well, that was nice, yeah. good enough, That's good you know, enough. and yeah. so he, and then she was very appreciative, because he gave us a gift by opening up this world that she had created that I don't know if she would have shared so much on her own, because she was, she was a very modest person, and she tended to lift us up more than herself. Well, so were you aware that all these poems existed? Well, yeah, and I mean, poor mothers, they all get treated by their children, Brittany, so, so meaningful, yeah. her words, um, because, you know, you really don't value how much your mother has to say. No, you don't, we don't. We're too, we're too, yo- we're too young Until and we it's don't too figure late, it out. You know, yeah, yeah, and then right. you finally figured it out yourself that maybe they had, they had a, a life, and they have a life, so... You know, it was important to us, and he really did us a favor by, by illuminating that for us. Yeah. yeah. You, when we were talking earlier, you said something about, it's like Thoreau was a woman with eight kids and driving a van. Yeah, with leather bell bottoms. Oh, I yeah, didn't I mean, say that. Oh, leather you bell bottoms. You gotta add the fashion, too. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. And you also mentioned dreams deferred. You know, as far as describing your yeah. mother finding her voice at, at 72. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and, and I think... Um, I'm feeling a little bit of that journey as well. I don't know so much now if it's deferring a dream or adapting a dream. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That I think moms get really good at adapting. And can I just say that all of these performances have nearly made me cry every single one? And I'm doing my darn best right now to suck it in. (laughs) And it's really, you know, I mean, we're like, we arrive at a very vulnerable place when we talk about our beginnings and. That's what our mothers are, right? Yeah, right, exactly, right, yeah. exactly. So you also started writing recently. Yeah, yeah, I right? did. Yeah. yeah, I always liked to write mostly fun little variety shows for my sister and I to perform for, you know, various concerts, and they always had a punchline, yes. And, um, and then... About, I think it was uh, last year, so 2021, yeah. I had um, just been imagining all these thoughts I had for mini essays and little, dare I say the word, 
blog. It, you know, that smacks. You can of, say blog. Whatever. You can say blog. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, many things I thought when I'm driving the car, I told you brushing my teeth yes. is like my creative time in front of the mirror, brushing my teeth. I have all these thoughts. And um, it mostly came from this journey I've had as a mom of two amazing boys, and my 11-year-old has Down syndrome. And the things I learn every day, it's like I'm a scholar and a scientist learning new things about people and viewpoints I've never considered before. And the thing I hear most from my friends when I tell them all these new discoveries, they say, oh, I wish I knew that. I yeah. wish I had known that. I would have been kinder or I would have understood you better. And so brushing my teeth, I'm thinking, well, you know, it's March 1st and March 21st is World Down Syndrome Day where they celebrate people who have three copies of the 21st chromosome oh. and the rights that should always be afforded to them to be full citizens and fully appreciated by the world. I thought, I'm going to climb up on this soapbox and write some of these ideas for 21 days and I'm going to make it like an exercise. And I'm going to deliver these bites of broccoli to everybody <laughs> to have to eat. You know, eat it. <laughs> it's a vegetable. It's good for you. And that didn't happen at all. Nobody thought it was a vegetable at all. Yeah. Um, I happen to like broccoli. But um, no, I mean, even the snippets that I would publish about technical things, sleep apnea, or yes, um, you know, speech delays, low muscle tone, people ate it up like it was this unseen, hidden, invisible world. Um, and, and I was having an opportunity to reveal. And there I am crying again. Um, it's all good. Yeah. It's all well, good. It's there. It's so totally 21 days. And you know, Sue, I would do it in my kitchen on my phone. Yeah. I would just like tickety, tickety, tick with my thumbs. And then I would publish it and always go backwards and edit it after I had published it. <laughs> because I knew if I stood there editing it, it I would edit it for two days, right? So I was like, I'm going to publish. And then I'd scurry back and edit super fast, you know? And it was a great way to do it. Well, and some of the posts would be some little short thought that you had about something that maybe Miles had just said that day that maybe you were like, hey, I wonder, or it might be a, a, a sort of fuller story, or it was sort of like you were saying, this deep dive into uh, many things that I did not know, I knew nothing about. Some of the things that, how Down syndrome uh, manifests itself physically yeah. in people, and mm -hmm. I was just, it was fascinating, I learned so much, it, I, I learned so much about you, I learned so much about you know, sort of that world, that community. And, um, and you were talking about the sleep apnea. Um, it was March 3rd. Oh, you yeah, well, this, actually, this it. Was, this yeah. was This was because you did it for two years. Yes, I've this done was, it for two years, two years. now. This, yeah. this was last March. She did it again for 21 days. And you, you named your each of your posts. And mm -hmm. this one on March 3rd was called The Sleep and Sniff. And you described this nighttime behavior that Miles has. Mm -hmm. He sits up in bed. He's still asleep. His feet are out, he tilts his head back as if he's sniffing the air and he'll do that for maybe up to 10 minutes mm -hmm. before lying back down. And you describe in complete detail what is going on medically 
and what is going on that that is making that happen and why that happens and so we learn so much but and you become such an expert you know i have yet to meet a parent who is parenting someone with a disability who isn't an expert of some variety mm -hmm. um i don't think you know what i loved about this lovely heroes piece song that you wrote is that there is no such thing as perfection. Mm -hmm. we, I'm not striving for it. Mm -hmm. But I have found areas in which I'm willing to dive in and learn. Um, and then I'm, I'm not learning in every arena. You just, I'm writing about the ones that I'm, you know, <laughs> terribly interested in, Sue. But I think to help yeah. your child make it through this world, it's a privilege actually to have time to research these things and it shouldn't necessarily need to be that way, that we have to walk ahead yeah, of right. all the professionals to make sure they're treating our child fairly yeah. or they understand their condition before we walk into the classroom mm. or the examination room, you know, things like that. You, you use the term primal instinct and all the goal is creating access, which is very important yeah. um, for people who being neurodivergent, um, access is an issue, is a problem. It is, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I struggled during COVID when Miles was going to return to school. I struggled with asking the school to let him eat lunch in another room so he could take his mask down, Though, even though he has a para one-on-one. -on -one. Um, the school had not heard that request, and, and many people are unaware that certain um, genetic conditions also carry with it uh, complex medical um, situations that his immune system is actually impaired. Um, so, you know, that is a primal yeah. desire that comes from deep down is that my child will survive this. He, he will survive this and he needs to get an education while he's surviving this pandemic. Yeah. You were doing, I think it was this last year, maybe it was the first year of the pandemic. I don't know how many years has there been? Mm -hmm. Whatever. Anyway, uh, you wanted people to sign a petition to try to get Down syndrome kids and people into sort of that level of, yes, they should be vaccinated. They should be seen as vulnerable mm -hmm. population to be, to be sort of front in line, yeah. to be vaccinated because they were being left behind. I mean, I think the general public doesn't know that there are 75-year-old parents who were, were willing to step aside and give their vaccine to their 40-year-old child with Down syndrome because that child had 10 times the risk they wow. did yeah. from developing a, a negative effect from wow. COVID. Well, I think, and I mean, I found it really educational because I guess I wasn't thinking of all that that can, you know, sort of sift down to the body. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we can have whole systems involved. We yeah. can, um, you know, I'm learning too. I have dear friends who have a child with Williams syndrome, and that's an even more um, infrequent, more rare uh, condition, and I'm still learning ways that they have um, medical complexities as well. It's like just, you know, encouraging people through my writing to go beyond what they see on the surface because we're usually seeing things that um, only only scratch the surface. And, you know, that whole sleep and sniff thing, yeah. when I was talking about him sleeping a certain way, I... I publish that because I just want people to understand that when you meet somebody who might not be able to sit through a class for 50 minutes, or if they don't have patience uh, to wait in line for the lemonade because it's, you know, 
a little bit longer and they can see the lemonade coming. There are so many factors involved. That extra chromosome might be part of it. It also, that extra chromosome may have impacted how they slept the night before. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it all goes back to one of my heroes who has taught me so much about parenting is a man named Ross Green. It's actually my great-grandfather's name, but the last name's spelled differently, G-R-E-E-N-E. -E -E. He's a psychologist who's done so much for children, especially children who have challenging behaviors because he says, children do well if they can. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah, right. And that right. if someone has yeah. lagging skills and unsolved problems, that's what we need to be addressing rather than just assuming people are giving us a hard time. So I write those posts to remind people that there's so many things to consider when you meet someone, yeah. when your life is impacted by someone else's behavior. So. Well, and there's some funny ones too, like his, his love of Dwayne Johnson. Oh yeah, The Rock. Yeah. If, you, if you know The Rock personally, I'm, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we Call wrote her. a little Call book. Her, will you, if you yeah. know him personally, yeah. We developed a book about yeah. The Rock, and yeah. Miles was able to read through it. Very, he was very excited. Oh, no, yeah. it was just, yeah, it was it was great. just great. Um, when we were talking earlier, I was asking you about if Miles is aware of a sense of being treated differently. You were saying that, that he has asked why he has Down syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, you know, that's going to make me choke up. Um, okay. He was telling me one day at school, it was very hard, and he was saying, um, oh, they treat me like a baby. I said, who treats you like a baby? And he said, oh, they treat me like a baby. And they, he, he dropped names. He's really good at that. Um, <laughs> and um, I said, I'm so sorry. I, I think I know why they do that, and that's because you have Down syndrome and you were born with low tone. Your muscles work differently, and your tongue muscles sometimes can't get all the way up. You can't bring that tongue all the way up to your teeth to make that sound, and so they hear you say words differently, and they're gonna make a, they're gonna have a thought about that. And he looked at me and he says, Mama, why, why is that in me? Yeah. And I said, what? And he said, Down syndrome, why? Why is that in me? Yeah. And I said, we are all made differently. And I am so glad that you are here with me and I'm here with you just the way we are. And, um, you know, when I had him... Uh, I didn't know if he would necessarily express himself verbally. That doesn't always happen. Right. For children who have Down syndrome, and, and, and you should never lose hope. I, may, I ran into a mom once who said, my son started talking in a theater group at 23. Wow. Wow. Um, but it also taught me, so I really valued that experience of having a conversation with him about the way he was made. But it also taught me that we mustn't assume that because we don't hear words that we recognize or thoughts that we've had, that a person isn't fully aware of who they are, yeah. or at least who we are looking in at them, right? Right. 
Because that's more of what's noticed, is the way we're treated, yeah. not so much. I mean, as our lovely friend and pastor told us within the first few days, few hours of Miles being born, he said, you know, everybody's got like a serving size of one for life, right? We only get one serving, and we digest that, and we really don't know about anybody else's serving, you know, yeah. what their yeah. life is like. Yeah. And the same is true for Miles. He's Miles. He's... He is himself, and it, it becomes more clear what his differences are based on how we treat him. Yeah. You were telling me that um, he will sometimes introduce himself and say, hi, I'm Miles, I have Down syndrome. Yeah. And that you were thinking, well, maybe I should stop him from doing that, and then you're wondering, is he doing this because of, of pride or to garner a sense of protection. Yeah, I have and no idea. that was fascinating to me. I know, I have no idea. Yeah. I found myself saying, hey buddy, you know what? I love it how you introduce yourself to people and you don't always have to say, I have Down syndrome. And then I stopped myself and I went, unless you really like to share that with people, <laughs> yeah, right. then go right ahead, you know? Because yeah. I, I, I don't know, that could be his most treasured piece of his identity for now you know sure. what I mean and and so it really opens my mind to considering that there's also the story about the um the teacher the substitute teacher that comes running in the room and she doesn't introduce herself and she just starts in a lesson and then when she's done uh, Miles says hi I'm Miles <laughs> like and you are and you're here because yeah and you yeah. said, who is the 40-year-old in that situation? Yeah. I, right? I think that was a post about the horrible habit that we all have about assigning an age to someone's um, oh, cognitive right. ability, which is really crass and outdated. And I understand why people do it. We're all trying to have context, right? Because maybe we don't know someone who has an intellectual disability and we need to think about things differently. But you, you can't just say that about a person. Who was who the 40-year-old in that room? Yeah. It was my child who waited through her awkward beginning to the lecture and managed to very calmly introduce himself <laughs> after she was done. So, you know, I, I, and, and I want to make sure that I say that when I wrote all of these ideas, it was from a place of great love for everyone who is reading it, mm -hmm. because I come from a place of not knowing. You know, before I was his mother, I didn't know. Yeah. It was invisible to me. Mm -hmm. And so I love everyone who wants to learn. Oh, and that so, comes yeah. across, that comes across. Yeah. In, yes, big time that comes across. Your older son, Augie, is two years older. Yeah. And, um, Great buddies, and, and, and there's, I'm sure there's a protector well, element. you know. Sometimes, yeah. They're not at a great buddy stage right now, but I'm well, kind of heartened by that, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Full disclosure, some of you may know this. Full disclosure, I am also a sibling of, I had a younger brother who was um, very physically uh, disabled from birth. And my brother died many, many years ago. He was just shy of graduating from college. But I can totally identify with Augie when he is in his protector stage. Mm -hmm. 
um, as far as being the older sibling, even though they're close in age, and my brother and I were clo very, very close in age. And uh, you were telling me a story how he will, when he needs to use the facilities. Yeah, at home. Yeah, at home. That he will come and tell you, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And you were like... Well, it's happened, you know, it happened throughout his youth, and then he turned eight or nine, and he was still saying, hey, mom, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm, I'm going to be gone. And, you know, by nine, nine years old, I, I had a talk with him, and I said, hey, Augie, you're nine. I trust you to go to the bathroom by yourself and do that thing, and you don't always need to fill me in. <laughs> and, and he said, oh, yeah, but I'm letting you know so that you know that you're watching Miles. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was tagging me in. Yeah. And I hadn't taught him how to do that. And he knew I needed backup. Most and who was the 40-year-old in that room? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I said, wow, okay, thanks a lot. And then, you know, he continued to tell me when he needed to go to the bathroom. Because apparently I need backup. <laughs> well, and I'll just, I, I don't want to digress too much, but I remember when, um, it's a team effort. You talked about the tagging, and it's a team effort. I remember being uh, growing up in the church, and the Sunday school classes were upstairs. And after church, the kids would all run around, and, you know, we'd all be silly while their parents were having the, you know, the coffee and the tea or whatever they were having. And I can, when I was still very young, I can remember my mother saying, please take him with you. Don't leave him behind. So my brother was in a wheelchair and he couldn't, you know, go up and downstairs by himself. There would be times when I'd be like, oh yeah, right. So I would take him step by step by step. A lot of the adults in the, in the church would come up and they'd say, oh, let me, let me, I'll take him for you. And my brother always said, no. You know, he'd rather the eight-year-old sister mm -hmm. take the seven-year-old brother down yeah. the stairs step by step because he trusted me and he didn't know them. Right. So that he would say, I'm fine, thank you. And I'm thinking, I could have used the help, sure. But, <laughs> but we knew this. I mean, doing, you know, dealing with wheelchairs. And my mother was in a wheelchair most of my life as well. And so we had this wheelchair thing down. Yeah. But, uh, but there was that thing of, no, really, thank you for, for offering the help. But I got this. And when we were in, we were in high school, the only time we were in school together, I was telling you earlier, he was always yeah. in special schools until we were in high school. And they realized, oh, all he needs is a key to the elevator. He could be in a regular school. He was going through all these special schools. They just give him a key to the elevator and he's good, okay. And people would see him pushing, pushing himself to class and they go, oh, your poor brother, aren't you gonna help him go to class? I go, he does not want my help. Yeah. <laughs> if it does not involve stairs, he doesn't want me anywhere near him. I know, Because yeah. that, that independence, there was well, independence. Yeah, that's yes. a human thing. Right. We all wanna do what we can do. Please don't do it for us if, if and we that can do it. Yeah. that assumption, oh, you must need help. You know, as a friend of mine, has told me, and her son is in a wheelchair, it's like it's a very vulnerable place to be when you know you need the whole world to do their best for you yeah. and your family because yeah. we don't need some help, but we do sometimes. And then we need everyone else to bring their best game. Yeah. And that is a vulnerable place to be. And it's, it's one of the most spectacular lessons I've ever had of my whole life. Yeah. So grateful for learning what that feels like and yeah. for finding myself in a place where I need people. 
you mentioned your pastor earlier and the single side serving, and this is his life, and you had talked about how you were worried at some point that you weren't doing the right thing or that you weren't, that you hadn't sort of gotten it together yet. And how does that feel now? Um, well, I'm a recovering perfectionist, right? Trying to step away from that. I'm also trying to lay my shame down. Um, it doesn't, <laughs> thank you! <laughs> doesn't really do you any good. Um, even though, uh, you know, at 12.30 at night, it seems like it's your companion lying there next to you in your bed, but yeah. it just keeps you awake. So it's not the best bedfellow. And um, I'm really trying to move on. And for that to happen, I need a lot of friends. Yeah. And I think my posts were a, was a way of making more friends in the world for me and for my son. And I think it's working, you know? Yeah. I think it works to help people learn how to be a better friend. So that's kind of why I did what I did. Because I have faith in everybody yeah. that, that they can be our friends and I can maybe be theirs back and they can share with me some really hidden, invisible things in their life that I don't know about. Because right. I have a lot to learn. You talk about, speaking of learning, you use the word grace. That you're, you talked about, now I'm going to get moved. You talk about learning uh, about grace uh, in, through, through this whole journey that, you've, that you're going through, that you're currently going through uh, with both your boys. And I feel personally, and I know, uh, I'm sh I can just feel in this room, we have learned so much grace from you tonight. Thank you very thank you. much. Thank, thank, you. thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you all. Thank you so much. Thanks thank for you listening. so much. Thank you so much. And I hope, I, I hope there maybe is a book or there's more writing or there's more, there is a website. At least she I has have a website now. Brand new website yeah. calling, and I just turned the page. We are celebrating. We are celebrating.com. We are celebrating.com. Yeah, all our posts are at wearecelebrating.com. Thank you very much, thank Jennifer you all. Baldwin, Pete, and thank you. Thank That's you. our show for tonight, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so much. Oh my gosh, thank you for coming. Thank you to Jen Peden again, and Ann Reed. Come on up, Ann. And Mary Jo Peel. And Brittany Delaney. And Zippy Lasky. And thank you, Christina, for joining us for that wonderful excerpt. And I want to thank uh, our engineers, Catherine Horowitz and Richard Graham and Lexi Carlson for the light. And Micah, thank you for sticking around and learning more. And Amanda Shavik takes our pictures. And Suzanne Egley and Carolyn Denton, our volunteers. And the wonderful staff here at this beautiful women's club. All right, we'll be back next month, y'all, right here for another live island of discarded women. I'm Sue Scott. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you.